Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. I invite you to join me in a short journey into the life of Jesus as it's found in the book of Matthew. Not only will it teach us something new about how Jesus related to his disciples and the people around him, it also can teach us something about the way we relate to the others in times of conflict and division. As we begin, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 10. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Here ends the gospel. Now, this is not your Sunday school Jesus. At least it's not the Jesus I got to know in my Sunday school. We learned about a kind and loving Jesus who took little children onto his lap. We sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. He wasn't the Jesus who comes flashing a sword and breaking up families. So I think we need to take a little look into the story and examine it a little bit more closely. Jesus lived in a time and a place of great conflict and divisions in society. The Roman conquerors of Palestine ruled with an iron fist. The locals didn't dare step out of line. There was also a local Jewish hierarchy to whom the Romans ceded a certain degree of political power, mostly in order to keep the peace. Then there were faithful Jews who thought that the leaders of the temple had sold them out, sold them and their religion out. They wanted to foment a rebellion. And finally, they're the common folk who bore the brunt of all the conflict. They were caught in the middle. This was not a peaceful time for anyone. So when Jesus emerged as a potential Messiah, whom the Jews thought would reestablish the greatness of Israel, he arrived to great expectations. He would unite the people who would rise up and throw off their foreign oppressors. Then they would live happily ever after. As you can imagine, a Messiah, or even a potential Messiah, was a divisive character. Some people were probably excited that their religious expectations were coming true and life was about to get a lot better. Those people in power, however, would have been threatened. 
they had it good already, and they didn't want things to change. Even some of the poor and oppressed probably argued for the status quo. Life might get even harder if Jesus stirred things up. And then there were those followers around Jesus who didn't think that he was acting fast enough. In our story today, Jesus acknowledges those divisions and conflicts. One thing to clear up from the beginning. The sword that Jesus was talking about was a metaphorical sword, not a literal one, not a military one. Jesus was a pacifist. The story of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane clearly illustrates that he would not take up arms. When the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, one of his followers picks up a sword and cuts off the ear of a slave of the high priest, to which Jesus says, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. According to the Gospel of Luke, in this instance Jesus went so far as to heal the slave's ear. But the sword in this story is different. It's not a military weapon. It is a symbol of the divisive power of Jesus' presence and his teachings. Now, Jesus uses the example of family to illustrate just how divisive he would be. He says, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will become members of one's own household. You might ask, doesn't this violate the Ten Commandments? Well, yes, it does. Part of God's most important set of laws says, Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land your Lord God is giving you. The existence of this commandment, though, bears witness to the fact that some people already weren't honoring their fathers and mothers. Paul expands on this commandment in Ephesians. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that they may be well with you, and you may live long on earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Once again, the fact that Paul chose to write to the Ephesians about this commandment means that they probably were having a problem following it already. You see, divisions within families are unfortunately common. I was coming of age back in the late 1960s, and that was a time of great cultural change. It was the time of Woodstock anti-war protests and acid trips. In large part, the cultural sword was severing generations. To oversimplify, the adults who had grown up in post-World War II prosperity could not understand what their children had to be angry about or why they were dissatisfied. This new generation did not know what sacrifice was like. Families were torn apart. Parents couldn't talk to their children. I remember going with my family to the airport to greet my brother, who was returning from serving two years in the Peace Corps in Africa. My uncle, who had acted almost like a second father to my brother as he was growing up, was there. 
But when he saw my brother walking across the tarmac, sporting a beard and shaggy hair, he burst into a rage. He stomped off and left without ever greeting my brother. Now this despite the fact that my brother was a veteran of the U.S. Marines. But Jesus was right. One's foes can be members of one's household. A few years later, I experienced a similar, though not quite as dramatic, rift within my family, my parents. I came home from Christmas break from college wearing bell-bottom jeans, and I'd grown the beginnings of what would become a rather ample white boy afro. It took a few days of cajoling by my mother to convince my dad that his son was not a communist defector. Fortunately, the divisions between my brother and me and our family healed pretty quickly. But it was painful to have our familial bonds severed as though with a sword. Families are normally held together by strong bonds. Sometimes, however, events occur in the world that can sever those bonds, sometimes permanently. Particularly as children mature and grow and eventually leave home, we sometimes grow in different directions. The interests of parents may not align with the interests of their children. The interest of the one child who goes away to college and another that goes into the armed forces may diverge. The divisions that exist among us are not all familial. America now is torn in many directions by reasons political, religious, economic, racial, cultural, ethnic, and gender. You know the list. The bonds among families and friends have been severed to the point some of us can't even speak with one another. And the divisions extend globally to the point that it seems like we are living Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24, where he says, Beware that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The sword that Jesus wields in this turbulent world is the sword of truth. Jesus says, If you abide by my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and I will set you free. He may as well have said that the truth will cut you free. That sounds good, but Jesus is pointing out the downside of the truth. The truth may sever our bonds with those we love. The truth may even sever our bonds with cherished ideas that we hold on to. A great severing is occurring right now in the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in America. The leadership has just passed a ruling that women may not serve as pastors or in positions of leadership in any of their churches. Several large congregations have been kicked out of the convention because they have called and have avowed to continue to call women as pastors and leaders. The sword has split that family in two. 
there are divisions within the body of Christ, and it's causing a lot of pain. The division within the church highlights the problem of when we start talking about uh, the side of the truth. In this case, both sides believe that they're acting according to the truth of Christ. The Southern Baptist Convention cites some rather pointed scriptural references to support their position, such as 1 Timothy 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. The SBC's strict adherence to a literal interpretation of the Bible makes the issue clear. Women cannot hold the highest leadership roles in the church, and that includes preaching and serving as pastor. Now, the dissenting congregations, and there are many, see it quite differently. They point out examples of women who held important roles of teaching and authority in the Bible. For example, we read in Acts. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came from Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. These women taught this man. More importantly, they point out that placing such restrictions on women who feel called by the Holy Spirit to preach and lead is contrary to the spirit of love and acceptance of all that Jesus practiced. This single issue is slicing the Southern Baptist Convention to pieces. Members are forced to choose a side. I would imagine that divisions are even causing rifts among families who will no longer feel that they're able to worship together. The problem that we now confront is who on the side of Christ? Who is on the side of truth? Now that the sword has struck. I've always had trouble finding something positive with the sword wielding Jesus Christ. Did he come to create a perpetual sense of disarray and disorder? I think that is because we only are focusing on part of the Jesus story. Yes, Jesus disturbs the status quo. Yes, Jesus will constantly stir up controversy. Christians are hardly unified. The 2.4 billion Christians in the world today are divided into over 40,000 denominations. Not only can we not agree on whether women can be pastors, it seems like we can't agree on anything. Throughout history, there have been times that we have come in violent conflict with one another. The good news is, Jesus always uh, came to put the pieces back together in the right way. The way that Jesus does that is to preach, teach, and live a life of reconciliation. While Jesus may come armed with the sword of truth, he also carries with him the welding, church, welding torch of forgiveness and reconciliation. 
This great commandment was to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we love our neighbors or our families or our brothers and sisters around the world, we want to reconcile with them. Despite the forces that pull us apart, our hearts long to be reunited with those whom we have loved. The question is, can all the king's horses and all the king's men put Humpty Dumpty together again? Let's see what that looks like using the example of a family. Divisions with families are not always permanent. One of the great healing factors is time. Although it took a few years after my uncle stomped out of the airport in anger with my brother, they eventually quietly reconciled. They resumed their old practice of watching Cubs games together and joked and laughed like nothing ever happened. My uncle even came to admire what my brother did as a teacher in Africa. Time and culture kept on changing. The war in Vietnam ended. My brother had shaved his beard, cut his hair, and become a schoolteacher. What had been cut apart was welded back together. Many of the issues that divide us today are transient. They may seem very important today, but they aren't. They aren't ultimately important. What seems like a burning social or political issue today is soon thrown in the trash bin like yesterday's newspaper. True, some of the divisions among us will be permanent. They'll never be healed. But we must never give up. We must constantly move in the direction of the kingdom of God with love and compassion toward one another. One of the early churches that Paul established was in Corinth, an ancient city in Greece. And Corinth has been described as the Southern California of the ancient world. Located at the crossroads of important trade routes, it became a hotbed for new ideas, social innovations, and religious practices. And there was a lot of loose living and sexual immorality. Some of the people of the church were succumbing to those behaviors that didn't square with the teachings of Jesus. Consequently, just like in the SBC today, religious factions formed. From afar, Paul writes, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are be, to be united in the same mind and the same purpose. That appeal applies today. Jesus was quite effective with that sort of his. Now it is up to us to see how effective we can be at healing. Let there be no divisions among us. That is our goal. That will be our destiny. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God look upon you with grace and mercy. May God's face smile upon you and give you peace.